Hello, I'm your host, Gillian Semler. You're listening to Let's Talk, brought to you by Citilets and Arla Property Mart Scotland. Let's Talk is a dedicated property show for the world of property letting, investment, legislation, personal stories and much more. If you want to get in touch, just reach out. Let's Talk at citilets.co.uk. Today, my guest is Ross McLeod, Managing Director of West of Scotland-based McLeod Lettings. Morning, Ross. Morning. Thank you for travelling through all the way from the Wild West. It's a bit of a hardship. <laughs> but you got there. And you made it. Survived the journey. Now, you set up McLeod Lettings in 2013. However, you've been involved in the residential letting sector for over 20 years. So what was your first experience in property? I think from a very young age, um, I always, I, I just enjoyed everything about property. Um, as a child, moving my bedroom around, rearranging my bedroom, mm-hmm. uh, decorating my bedroom. I remember at one point at school, designing furniture with a friend. Um, I think it's always just been something that I've been really passionate about. I'm very passionate about design and style. Absolutely, because you just had the, the offers refurbished, but we'll talk about that later. Mm-hmm. But obviously we've seen the photos. So what was your first kind of professional experience then in property? My first professional experience, um, I mean, I guess I bought my first property when I was 20 um, and born out of a desire to leave home living with my mum and two sisters. The females that drove you out? Well, this was before the advent of the mobile phone. So you would lose, you would, sorry, you would miss nights out because mm-hmm. your friends couldn't phone you to say, hey, we're going out. And, um, you know, three women uh, and one landline, you just couldn't <laughs> get through at all. And I met a uh, colleague of my mother's who was involved in property and had refurbished this uh, flat in Partick and I was down having a look at it and he said he was going to sell it and I said well I might I might buy it and um, I remember going to my bank on Byers Road who had banked with since you know I don't know I was maybe 11 or 12 and I sat down and I asked them if they would give me a mortgage and it was a flat no Mm-hmm. So I left the bank very deflated and I, I was wandering up Byers Road and I passed the Abbey National, which now Santander, and they had a poster in the window, you know, mortgages available. And I'd never banked there before, I was 20 years old. I had a job and I walked in and half an hour later I came out with a mortgage offer. Mm. And I bought my first flat. And then the, the you know, I, I, the, the gentleman who was refurbishing it uh, left me to decorate it in the way I, I wanted to decorate it. Um, and I lived there very happily for a year and, and sold it. And I made a 22% profit when I sold it. In one year? In one year. Um, at the age of 21. Wow. And that was the start of, hang on, alongside my day job at the time, this could be an interesting journey. Mm-hmm. That's really that's really what kind of sparked my proper enthusiasm. So, do you want to just touch on your kind of experience, your journey, just to to date? 
I was involved in the service sector. Um, I ran bars and restaurants in Glasgow, and I think I'd grown weary by the age of kind of 24, and I'd grown weary of the, the industry mm -hmm. um, and the pressures that came with that. And I wanted a career change, and at the time I had a buy to let, so I was aware of legislation and the responsibility of a landlord, and um, yeah, I joined a letting agency, a very, very small letting agency, and very quickly we grew it into a substantial uh, medium-sized letting agency, mm -hmm. and the, that was the start of the journey. Okay, well, obviously you're a clearly very driven individual, so uh, did you always aspire then to, to set up your own company? My mother always tells a story of um, when I was 13 years old and I've always had a strong work ethic and I've never been given anything. Mm -hmm. um, pocket money was scarce mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of my friends um, had more stuff than I had so I had to go out and work in order to keep up with the Joneses. And my mother tells a story of a car washing business that I started when I was 13. And it started by me knocking my neighbour's door and asking if I could wash his car for, you know, a pound. Sure. And then it grew and it grew down the street. And it got to the stage where I had to employ somebody good. to help me. And I think my mum still has the, the books that she made me keep. But I was bringing in over £100 a week. Brilliant. When I was 13, you were 13 years old. Gosh. So I've always had that entrepreneurial it, side, maybe. It's just a work ethic, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, it's about um, working hard and, and, and then enjoying the fruits of your labour. Mm -hmm. And um, the two go hand in hand. If you want to live in a nice house, or you want to drive a nice car, or you want to experience other parts of the world, no one's going to give it to you. Go out, work true. hard, earn the money, and and enjoy it. Well, McLeod's McLeod Letting's mission statement is um, not just another letting agent. So obviously, a very bold statement. Can you elaborate on on what sets you apart from other agents? When I started in lettings, you know, it was a very small firm, and it grew, and it grew, and it grew, and it and it ended being a very very large letting agency spanning the central belt. And we had five offices, we had 41 members of staff, and we were managing approximately 3,000 rental properties. And it just wasn't working in my no eyes. Way. All of this, 90% of the staff were sat behind the desk and had no experience of the properties that they were managing and you can't manage a property from behind a desk it's not possible you also can't manage a property if you've got no conception of construction or how the property's been built um, or no idea about plumbing or electrics and all of these different aspects that that um, that make up a property so 
when the, the, the only way with a business that size, it's very, very hard to reverse engineer it because it's grown into something colossal. And collectively with my co-directors, we decided to sell the business. And we sold the business to a, to a national operator. Um, and I guess I had retired, for want of a better word. Um, and then I was approached, and ironically I was approached on the day that the sale concluded by a landlord with another agent who came to me and said that their agent had let them down and could I help them. And I resisted. And I resisted for two or three months. Um, but they kept at it and kept saying, look, I need your help. And I decided that I would consult mm -hmm. and sort out the problems that they had with their agent. And that was very successful. But they insisted that I then manage their portfolio of properties. And that's where McLeod Lettings was born. Mm -hmm. um, because the business started from nothing, I was very easily able to create a business that I felt was the future of property management. Um, and none of our employees are, are, are paid to sit behind a desk. Yes, there's a colossal amount of administration with lettings, but you have to be out there. You have to understand the properties that you manage. You have to be inside them. You have to know them intuitively. You have to have a rough indication of when they were constructed and how they were constructed. Because there's a huge difference between a Victorian property, a Georgian property, mm -hmm. and, a, and a brand new property. And every day is a school day, for me as well as all my staff. You learn something new every day. But I don't think it's what sets us aside from, from other agents is, is a better understanding, I think. Okay, well, McLeod Lettings guarantee trust, transparency and tenacity to the landlords. So why do you view these three specific qualities as essential to the service you provide? You have to trust the person that's managing your property. Am I a letting agent? There's a question. Am I a letting agent? The lettings part of the process is the smallest part of the process. Actually, what we are is asset managers, because clients hold these assets. And let's not forget that the average value of this as property assets is into the hundreds of thousands mm -hmm. of pounds. And you have to trust, our clients come to us and they, they have to trust us to manage this asset and make sure that it retains its value and grows in value over the period of time that we look after it. You also have to be transparent. And I'm often accused of shooting from the hip. <laughs> There's no point in, in doing anything be honest. else. Mm -hmm. Be honest with people. Mm -hmm. More often than not, when I meet a new client, I Actually, explain... I'm trying not to laugh because I'm just thinking back to, to, to what Ross said as he came into the office, but we're not going to that. <laughs> he shot from the airport, right? <laughs> but anyway, let you carry on. We'll not even go into that, but that's why I was laughing. When, more often than not... <laughs> You're very honest, Ross. <laughs> when I meet a new client, I say, I'm not here to be yeah. your friend. I'm no. here to be honest with you. Um, and I'm here to tell you the way it is, mm -hmm. because we, I have a, a very full understanding of the market. 
um, and to provide the service that we provide, you need to you need to have an honest approach, and, and I need to be open and transparent with people. And tenacity is just a given, you know. I'm like a dog with a bone. Um, that's why we came up with that tagline for our business, because yeah. I think that encapsulates what we do and what we're about. Excellent. Well, let's talk about the Glasgow residential letter market. Oh <laughs> well, in the most recent City Let's report, um, McLeod Lessons commented on the deepening supply demand imbalance. Now, our industry is obviously very concerned about current and future stock. So, what are your personal observations of the Glasgow market in relation to this? I can't think of a time when our industry has not been under attack from the government. It's very hard to remember a time. So maybe 15, 16, 17 years ago, I'm not sure. But almost every month there's a new attack on the private rented sector, on landlords. And it's all very, very one-sided. Landlords are the scourge of the Scottish Government. And the way it's playing out, a lot of landlords are just fed up. They're fed up of the continual attacks and they've just had enough mm -hmm. and they've decided to sell. And on some occasions the government will consult with letting agents, but on more occasions than not, they simply won't. And they'll come up with a plan, whether it's revenue creation, um, reducing tax breaks for landlords. It's been continual. And I think you should say, because there's obviously been the recent legislation, which we'll talk about just just in a moment. But yeah, and a lot of um, a lot of the the industry feel that they just really weren't consulted on at all. I can't understand the the modus operandi mm -hmm. because they're creating a bigger problem by the the the, the number of units available to let the volume of people that are coming to Scotland and it's created this environment now that's had the complete adverse effect of what they were trying to do and a lot of it comes down to the people that are making these rules and the people that are employed to pass these laws have absolutely no credentials and they shouldn't be allowed to do what they're doing and I feel sorry for people coming to, to Glasgow and Scotland in general now, whether that's to study, because we have some of the best universities in the world. And people want to come here and they want to study and they want to have the experience of living in these Victorian cities in Glasgow and Edinburgh and Aberdeen and Dundee and they can't find somewhere to stay. That's right, because recently, obviously, Glasgow University had said that if, if students hadn't secured accommodation, they weren't to continue their enrolment into their degree. I mean, of course, that was just, you know, awful. I mean, what do you feel are the main contributing factors to that situation? I understand that Glasgow University have created more university courses to entice more international students, international mm -hmm. students because of the money that they bring to yeah. the university. And the downside to that is that, coupled together with the government driving landlords mm -hmm. out of the market, mm -hmm. we now have a, a real supply and demand issue. Mm -hmm. 
And the private rented sector is a business like any business, and a business is run on supply and demand. And you know, if you can't get a product or there's a there's a limited supply of a product, what happens? The price goes up. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's the situation that we're facing. And they can't. There are a huge number of student housing developments in the last decade that have sprung up throughout all of our major cities. A colossal amount. And there's still not enough rooms for the people coming into Scotland. And a lot of these a lot of these student housing developments are very nice. Purpose built. The purpose built yeah. student mm-hmm. housing. They're very nice. Some of the slides taking you from one floor to the next and bars and you know restaurants and rooftop terraces and DJ booths and they're all absolutely fantastic but they don't give you an experience of living in Glasgow or Edinburgh or Dundee or St Andrews or Aberdeen because the, the, the student housing blocks could be anywhere there's no differential between one that's been built in Glasgow and one that's been built in Middlesex and I think, as a, a, I think part of the attraction for people coming to Glasgow is to absorb that history, which they perhaps don't have in their home countries, and to experience Glasgow living up a valley close yeah. and living in an old tenement with these beautiful old Victorian features. So I think that the the purpose-built student accommodation is fantastic for the first year. Yeah, and it is they come, they're yeah. safe, they're secure, they've got concierges, they've got laundry services. That's great. Settle in for your, for year one. Year two, move in to experience the, the true heart of the city that you're staying in. But if there's not that accommodation... And if there's not that accommodation, then that's where the problem arises. Mm-hmm. As you said, obviously, it, it does push rents up. And, and again, in, in our quarter three report, Glasgow recorded for the first time a monthly average rent of over £1,000. So do you believe the recent emergency legislation freezing rents, you know, do you think it will protect tenants as intended or do you think it will just exasperate the whole situation in the long term? I don't think there was any need for the legislation. I mean, obviously, we, you know, obviously we do, we're all aware that tenants need to be protected but in this way, where yeah, it's 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 targeted obviously the landlord and and restricted the landlord. There are now so many. It's all one-sided. It's all about the tenant, and there has going back to my earlier comment on this continual attack on the private rented sector. Again, I'm really struggling to identify a positive for landlords in the last 15 to 20 years. Any form of positive announcement. The majority of landlords that, that, that we work with are hardworking people. They've saved their pennies and they want to protect the money that they've created and they want to invest in the country where they've been born and bred by buying a property to protect that money. We all remember the banks going to the wall mm-hmm, yeah. in 2008. Seven and, eight. Mm-hmm. and your protection level 
I think it's still the same at r roughly £85,000. And it's not good enough to say that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's happened. It, it was real. The banks fell. Yeah. And a, an awful lot of people lost everything they'd ever worked for. Mm -hmm. Is it going to happen again? It could. It's in the very recent past. So if you have worked very hard and you have saved your pennies and you have got a couple of hundred thousand pounds in the bank, are you going to be comfortable with it sitting in the bank or would you rather it moved into perhaps bricks and mortar? And the government's attitude is you shouldn't be allowed to own more than one property. And I can't understand that. It's pushing people to look at other investments. Yeah, that particularly aren't. when housing is so much needed. Mm -hmm. Landlords provide a phenomenal service. Mm -hmm. And, and, and there's a need for landlords because we don't, we're not building enough new homes for people. And there seems to be this impression that landlords always own a lot of properties, are wealthy, but often it's a case of whether it be an accidental landlord or something that, yeah, it's just investing in an additional property. Um, and therefore they don't have that financial cushion to come out with the details of this emergency legislation. But I think if I understand it correctly, you know, if, if, if a landlord's mortgage has gone up, they're able to still increase the rent, but they're not able to increase it by exactly how much it's gone up. I think it's only by about 50%, is that right? So for them long term, particularly this is extended over six months, well, I mean, it's something I was going to ask later. Considering that the current rent freeze may be extended for even another year, you know, what, would, what would be your advice to worried landlords who may be considering exiting the market? There's still a lot of landlords out there self-managing. And I think that the majority of landlords who self-manage are, are listening to these announcements. And let's not forget that the latest announcement over rent freezes and non-evictions, it was a headline grabber. Mm -hmm. That's what it was. And it was playing to... Um, playing to the voters and the cynic in me would look at that headline rent freeze non, no eviction and there's an element of society that would go well hang on if I stop paying my rent I can't be evicted yeah. Yeah. Now, in, in that scenario, which advantage. in that scenario which we haven't experienced as an agent, um, I'm sure there are people that have experienced that. Where's the protection for the landlord? There is none. The costs of running a business, a, a, a residential property portfolio, and I, I'm not talking about cloud lettings costs, but the landlord's costs don't disappear. They're not getting their mortgage interest relief. The sheer volume of legislation and the costs that, that, are, that are incurred in that. The failure of our system of, of eviction has never been addressed. It's incredibly difficult to remove a tenant from a property for non-payment of rent incredibly difficult and incredibly timeless as well. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing up to six months, it'd be up to, what would equate up to six months. 
of non-payment of rent arrears. And then obviously after that, by the time it is, if it has to go to tribunal, I mean, that's, that's a lengthy term for a landlord to go without a certain amount of, of it's a huge. It's a huge sum of money and they're highly unlikely to recover that. And they're expected just to dust themselves down and off they go again. And I can tell you that the result of that, the result of a landlord experiencing that is, I've had enough. Have you I'm seen selling. that? Yeah. So you think and, it's... and there's another property disappeared. You think it's got to the stage where landlords are thinking, right, that this is the moment where enough is enough? I think we're on the tipping point of that. Are you seeing, are you personally seeing yourself landlords exiting? Or talking to you about exiting? Not huge numbers. Right. We've had a few. I think, and I always say to landlords again when I meet them, is if you, it's, it's very difficult to self-manage your property if you have a career out with property. If you're a dentist or a you know, gas engineer or a postman, let your agent manage the property for you. That's what we're paid to ensure that you're legitimate and the legislation is all up to date and to handle all all of the announcements that get fired at us. That's our job to do that. Um, so we have had very few landlords exit the market. One or two have. Mm -hmm. But I can see it. I can see it's very... I can see it's very disturbing for landlords because when will it stop? Mm -hmm. And all of the legislation that's been brought in over the last 15 or 20 years that's meant to streamline the system or... Um, meant to get rid of rogue landlords. It's not worked. The rogue landlords are still operating. Mm -hmm. I know this. Why are they still allowed to operate? So, I, I think the system is teetering on being completely broken. And I don't think the people to fix it are the government because they have no credentials. Because mm -hmm. landlords are, yep, they're experiencing, obviously, their own mortgage rates increasing. If they can't add on that extra rent or the full amount, they're suffering the cost of living crisis, as I said before, and as you said about tax changes. There's no incentive to enter the property market. So the landlord, if one of your landlords came to you and said, look, I, I am, you know, um, anxious about the whole situation and I am considering selling, what, what would be your advice then? Well, the first advice is, unless your property is vacant, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> because we can't remove your tenant. Mm -hmm. um, I think they're saying that you can possibly, in these new details that I was reading, I think they're saying that you can, if you are selling the property, but only if you can prove you have got financial hardship. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so if you're just selling it because you are requiring the money for further investment? The government are not allowing, it's almost, um, they're, they're strangling the system because um, they're saying you can't evict a tenant and you can't realise your property asset. Um, and, and I can't think of any other industry where the government are in control 
of your investment. It's not yeah. owned by the government. It, th th this is something that you've either inherited, perhaps, worked hard and, and, and purchased, and you're at the behest of the government as to when you can cash your chips in. Yes, very much so, yes, with the tax changes, because no other business would have been taxed like that with the Osborne's tax changes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I really struggle to see... Mm -hmm. We have to continue on. Mm -hmm. um, the, the property industry in Scotland supports tens of thousands of careers and jobs from everything, from gas engineers to removal companies to window cleaners to estate agents, letting agents, surveyors. I don't think the government quite grasp the detrimental effect they're having. And so many professions as well. And, and, and so many professions. And I'm a small fish in a big pond. So do you think that this cost of living crisis will affect possibly like tenants' ability to pay rent? So they, you know, because obviously they've got all these additional costs that might be happening over the winter or will be happening. I think as an agent, we, we need to work in tandem with our tenants to ensure that the properties that they're living in are maintained. Scotland can have horrendous winters and huge fluctuations in temperature up to 10 or 15 degrees per day. And as an agent, we need to, to ensure that our landlord's properties are maintained with heating and ventilation. The cost of living crisis is affecting all of us, business owners, landlords, tenants. There's nobody that's not been affected by it. And I don't think that, um, that, that, that there will be people unwilling to pay rent per se, but the ability to pay rent in light of having to pay an increase in their gas or their electricity or their bread and milk or fueling their vehicle could potentially become an issue. And I think that that's something that agents have to manage, especially through the winter months. Yeah. Um, but I think the cost of living crisis, as you, as you pointed out earlier on, it's, it's affecting all of us. There's nobody that it's not affecting. Okay. So you can't single out a portion of society and say, well, well, oh, well they're not affected. Mm -hmm. It's not. I'm not getting a better deal on my petrol than you, or my, mm -hmm. the price of a pint of milk is the price of a pint of milk. Mm -hmm. So, let, let's, let's move on to a slightly more lighter topic, and you've just recently, as we mentioned earlier, refurbished your offices. We've seen pictures on social media, it's looking very, very swanky. Now, you believe, and to quote you, a well-designed office should create a pleasing workplace as well as having an injection of fun allowing your team to flourish. So tell us more about your recent revamp. Well, first of all, I was never designed, I was never designed to work in an office. It just gave me the fear. Um, I never saw myself as working in an office and, and I still don't see myself working as an office. I don't believe a, a, a letting agent's job is behind the desk. Um, that being said, we have an office um, and the fact of the matter is that you probably spend more time in your office than you do in your home. 
And everyone's homes are all individually designed and everyone's proud of the colours they've chosen and the furniture they've chosen and whether they've got carpets or hardwood floors or light fittings. And, and as a, everyone that I've met is obsessed with how their, how their property looks. But every single office, not every single office, but the majority of offices I've ever set foot in have just been the most depressing places. I think, wow, you know, how can you get the best out of somebody if they're sitting in an environment that's depressing? Office furniture is some of the worst designed items of furniture you'll ever buy in your life. And when you look at furniture showrooms for homes and the beautiful sofas and chairs and beds and things that you can buy, but there's uh, office furniture is an afterthought. So when we moved, we relocated our office about two or three months ago. Um, and I wanted to design a space that made you smile when you walk in. And I put more effort into the interiors of our office than I, than I have done in a lot of interior property projects mm -hmm. that I worked on because I had a blank canvas and I thought, let's just, let's do something cool. Let's do something that the staff come in and it's a happy place to be. And the facilities should be the same, if not better, than you've got in your own home. So if somebody wants to come in for a coffee, we've got a proper coffee machine. We're not making a, we don't have a builder's kettle and, you know, a pot of granulated coffee and, and you know, we've got a water cooler and, and, you know, we've got Tunnock's tea cakes if someone wants a snack. Ah, oh, that's what we're missing, you know, the biscuits today. These, these, are, these are things that you wouldn't have your granulated coffee at home. Why should you have it at work? And think about that. It's, it's very well known that you really shouldn't have caffeine beyond two o'clock, sometimes even earlier. But we've all got integrated coffee machines or Nespresso coffee machines at home. You're never going to use it if you're going to work in the morning. You have your yeah. coffee when you arrive in the office. So for all of you out there, Demand from your boss that you get a coffee machine. We have a coffee machine, we've got coffee syrups. It's like a Starbucks but in our office. But you have optics. That's the crucial question. For the we, five o'clock We don't have optics. And that's, and that's driven by my desire to, to, to abstain, from al abstain from alcohol, to be You're honest. Friday at five. Yeah, I, I don't tend to drink that much anymore. Let's talk about your... Um, your charity work, because McLeod Leighton's are always have been involved in charity work. Um, and you've most recently, most recently supporting Social Bite. So tell us a bit more about your involvement with this, this homeless charity. I was introduced to Social Bite by a very good friend of mine, Simon, and his son, Josh, who, who opened up Social Bite. And my first experience was a number of years ago when they did the CEO sleep out in Edinburgh yeah. um, to experience living on the streets for the night. Um, and I was involved in that and we raised a lot of money um, with a lot of other business leaders uh, to spend the night on the streets of Edinburgh. And 
that then grew into, uh, you know, there was a huge sleep out a number of years ago. Um, and I just think the, I think Josh has got the, has got the right idea because what I love about his business is he's not, he's not giving out charity to people. He's giving people the opportunity to better themselves. I think that's what people want. I think there's a huge number of people that don't necessarily want handouts. Yeah. They'd rather have a, to use a Glasgow term, a puggy up. <laughs> yeah. And, and to employ these people yeah. and, and, and give them a sense of worth and let them earn their own money and let them find their own feet and get settled into, into a, a property rather than a rather than a cardboard box in the street. And that's what I admire about it. It's not that attitude of of throwing money at a problem and hoping it will go away, um, or just handing out, you know, money. It's about giving these people the opportunity that Proper start, a lot of other again. people mm -hmm. don't see in them. And, and uh, I think that's really important. Yeah. Um, and, and I think during COVID we've kind of, we've lost a couple of years which has had a huge effect on everyone, everyone, um, mentally, physically. Uh, I think we need to, to get past that now and we need to start opening up again and we need to start having, I see it now where the black tie charity events are starting to come back. Yeah. Um, and I can't imagine how the charities have coped through two years of very little um, fundraising. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so it's nice to see that come back and I'm hoping to be involved in, in, in a few more of the social bite fundraising activities over the coming years. Good. And also a few, you've just recently visited Mumbai, haven't you? Or India full stop. And so is this, is this Mukai Legends moving into India, expanding or is this a, a holiday? It's funny. It, it, oh, I saw it, your Mark Shantouch, <laughs> your Shantouch things, that's exciting. Yes, um, I enjoy travel. Um, mm -hmm. I always have, and and I enjoy experiencing other cultures and other cities. And I always have a business head on, and I, I always look for opportunities where they may not exist. Or um, India was just a country that's all I've always wanted to go and visit. Um, it was a fantastic opportunity, and and. I learned a lot from the journey, uh, and I'll go back. What did you take back. most from it then? I think India, and I can only speak for Mumbai, um, which is a huge place with over 20 million people, um, but it's a small part of a, mm -hmm. of a much larger country. And it's the problem, is it Bombay? Bombay, well, it was Bombay, it was Bombay. It? Yeah. It's, it's, it's now Mumbai. and. Um, and I think what I took from Mumbai, to summarise Mumbai in one word, would be business. Because everybody seemed to be involved in business. Whether they were working in a shop, whether they were driving a taxi, whether they were a street vendor, or, or whether they were just pitching to you walking down the street, would you like to do this, or can I, can I sell you a ticket for a boat ride? Or Everywhere I looked, I didn't see any... Uh, it just everyone was was all about business and all about trying to 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 sell you something, um, and I love that and I love the hustle and bustle of it. 
Um, and that's how I would summarise Mumbai's his business. And I'm sure there's other areas of India um, that will be completely different to Mumbai. But for my first trip to India, um, we fell in love. Yeah. We just... Great. Oh, it's been really interesting to have you on Let's Talk. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. I'm Gillian Semler. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe to the Let's Talk channel on all the usual platforms, including Spotify, iTunes and SoundCloud, as well as on citylets.co.uk forward slash podcasts. And also let your friends know where to find us. Let's Talk is a dedicated property show providing insight into the world of property letting. More information on today's show can always be found on our show notes along with this podcast. If you want to get in touch, just reach out. Let's talk at citylets.co.uk.